Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. And it is Tuesday, so it's going to be a little bit more. There's a bye week as well. So this is going to be a little bit more macro look at things doing our our 247 format. We're going to stick to it, but maybe some of our questions are less about the game. It was a laugher, Michigan won 38-7. And maybe a little bit more about this bye week and, and some, some bigger picture uh, discussion. For the basketball fans out there, we will have a basketball podcast. I'm going to guess Thursday. So I thought about doing a preview podcast, but with the timing of my trip to Maryland and them playing on Tuesday, I felt disingenuous because I wasn't able to go to the exhibition. So I felt weird doing a preview podcast before I saw them play. So we'll do more or less a preview podcast later on this week after having seen them take on and presumably beat Appalachian State. Back to football, 247. We do two game balls, four takeaways, and then answer seven questions. Steve, I'll, I'll let you start. Who, who's got your game ball from Saturday? Oh, boy. <clears throat> Maybe Josh Metellus. Yeah, that's the guy thought, I wrote about. Yeah, that's a good pick. Thought he played a really good game. Again, I mean, Michigan, pretty easy win. People still critical. I don't know, I guess, even though it was a game they didn't give up a defensive touchdown. Uh, you know, I know they were a little leaky in the run game up the middle early on, but second mm-hmm. half, thought they played really, really well, forced a couple turnovers. Uh, I go with Metellus. I thought he was all over the field. I mean, he made the play in the interception in the red zone. Thought he was all over the field. It's kind of a good game from a senior leader who, again, I, I still I just think he's very underrated by Michigan fans. I don't think they realize that, you know, he's been a really good player for them now for three years. Uh, and so I'm going to go with Metellus. Yeah. Yep. That would have been that would have been my top choice. I'm gonna go. I won't go with the second best stat line. I'll I'll go with a guy who I felt made a couple significant plays and and given the context and the the direction of his season, I'll show him some love. Devin Gill is someone. I mean, he had the huge block on the kickoff return. He tipped the punt, if I'm not mistaken. He and and he did the rare he went actually through the middle of the line to do so it wasn't you know the guys on the outside he had to he had to have some savvy there and and kind of read the play read how the long snapper was playing and and the left guard and get up there and and make the tip and and just did did a, did a few other special teams plays i i felt were really impressed no, nothing else was you know on the box, on the stat sheet but um you know in a in a in the current age of co- college football and I don't mean this as some. I mean, I'm not. I'm 25. It's this isn't some old man yelling at the at the cloud. But players transfer a lot, and and you could argue they transfer more than than they necessarily should. I would always tell a player who loses their starting job, you should at least look and see what your other opportunities are. And so a lot of times when a player gets replaced in the starting lineup or in the rotation, you do wonder. You know, do they do they sit out this year? Chalk it up as a red shirt year, and then and then bolt. Do they shut it down? Do they do they continue to work as hard? Devin Gill was named an alternate captain for this for this Saturday's past Saturday's game. So he joined Kemp and Hudson and Bredesen out there at the coin toss. 
And I, I was kind of like, huh, well, good for him. I guess he's still working. And then you see him make these plays. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit for not leaving, not shutting it down. You know, certainly not how he envisioned things going. I mean, it's he the see the fifth linebacker, fifth inside linebacker that they have behind McGrone, behind Glasgow, behind Ross. I mean, is he behind Anthony even after being playing starter caliber snaps last year? So certainly, certainly a neat story. Good for him making some key plays, doing what he can. I mean, he's he's mostly resigned to special teams these days, and so he made plays on special teams. All right, those were our game balls. Other candidates, uh, you could probably throw Nico Collins and Hassan Haskins in there as offensive player. Offensive linemen, I think Ben Bredesen and Cesar Ruiz were um, all Big Ten from Pro Football Focus Players of the Week. Mike Dana had his best game. Josh Uche had a nice game. So certainly, certainly a few candidates in there. But um, on to takeaways, Steve. We're a couple days removed. What's what's one thing that's really sticking out to you about this game? I was right about them wanting to run the football. <clears throat> that was one thing I thought that stood out. I mean, they really came out and tried to run the football as much as possible to begin the game. It's kind of the exactly the way I sort of expected it. So, and they were successful for the most part. I mean, it wasn't a Notre Dame like performance, but again, I mean, 155 yards. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't great on 4.6 yards per carry. No, but I, we've seen them do this against lesser opponents. They were in control throughout the entirety of the game. So, you know, I don't read too much into the fact that they didn't maybe repeat their performance against Notre Dame. I say that when I, I believe one of my things was let's see how they come out after, you know, beating up on Notre Dame like they did. But at the same time, you know, there wasn't a game where I think you go into it thinking, okay, we got to open up the playbook, do as much as we can. Especially, you know, the other thing, you get that kickoff return to begin the game. Mm -hmm. That alone could maybe change your philosophy, you know, for the game. Because uh, you're already you're spotting yourself a seven point lead to begin the game, and defense comes out. I believe was the first drive of the game a three and out for Maryland, right? Yeah, and they lost ten yards doing so. Right, and and so you know it's fourteen zip before you blink an eye. Kind of reminds me of well, not not totally what happened with Wisconsin, but going the opposite way. But still, I think it just it kind of changed what Michigan maybe looked to do offensively think about this way like what what's the incentive of completely opening things up when you're you know up by two touchdowns again this felt differently than the Illinois game I know Maryland had some success in between the 20 yard lines offensively but again this was never a game that felt like you know was completely out of Michigan's grasp or out of their control so that was my first one I they did what I thought they would do to an extent as far as the you know, as, as what they tried to establish themselves offensively early on. Sure. My my first takeaway, I have one that kind of disagrees with what you just said, but that, that will that's a later one. My first takeaway is that this team is playing like it has a lot to play for, and that is a credit to the coaches and the seniors. I think for all the flack that, that Jim Harbaugh got for the losses to 
Wisconsin, and to a lesser extent, Penn State. I don't, I don't think the hot seat talk was quite as prominent then. The last two weeks, they have looked really, really good. They have outscored opponents. Oh, what is it? 73, no, 83 to 21. And that includes a couple junk touchdowns. It's, uh, and, and they, they play, they beat up Maryland or Notre Dame. We talked about that already. But I think what I saw at Maryland was 60 minutes of good football because they, they didn't have some weird laps like they have against Indiana on the road in the past, like they had against Illinois a few weeks ago on the road, like they had against Penn State, Wisconsin, or Northwestern, or Purdue, or, um, Iowa or Minnesota, you get the idea. Basically everywhere but but Piscataway and East Lansing. I, I've said this a few weeks in a row, and I definitely had a very similar point last week about them. They you know they look like a team that that still is fighting for stuff, and I think that not every team does that when they lose a second time. You know they might the win like it's not like every team that loses a second time loses three or four more times, but to look as as hungry and to play as ferociously, eh, maybe ferociously is a stretch. I mean, they were kind of, after a couple drives, they were kind of playing to get out of there. But but at the same time, they, they did it for 60 minutes, and they, they played crisp. Their throws weren't hitting necessarily, and the offense wasn't, wasn't clicking, clicking, but it, it was doing enough, and they were scoring points. They scored on five of their 11 drives, which is fine you know I mean if they needed to prove a point I I think that they could have but yeah they, they look like a team that's that still views this season as some as a season in which they can attain success you know and that's maybe it's just beating the rivals maybe it's maybe they think that they have more to more on the table I think technically there's some weird tiebreakers where they might, but they look like they're playing really hungry. And I I think if you're gonna if you're gonna put games like the Wisconsin loss on the coaches, I think the last two wins have to be on the coaches too. You know, it's not sure they were supposed to, they were always supposed to beat Maryland. I don't know that you knew from the outset that it was always going to be like this. And I don't know that you knew Notre Dame. And, and they just beat Notre Dame, and they're feeling good about themselves. And then what do they do? Well, then they go and have their best road game in over a year. And so I, to me, I think think that stood out. I wrote, I wrote the article about it. Now they have four weeks basically to save their season. And and that's I don't think any all of us thought that they would be in that spot uh, two weeks ago even. So credit credit to them. Seniors for sure. I think the coaches too. And the players, all the players, of course, deserve credit. I, I just, I think. You know. That's a leadership. That's a leadership. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a that's a top-down type deal. So, yeah, I think you're on the right. I would agree with you fully. And then look at, you know, by comparison, I know they ended up winning, but, like, look how flat Notre Dame came out and looked. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, we talked last week about how, you know, that game against Notre Dame was going to be really interesting for the coaches as far as, you know, how motivated can you get these guys when, in all likelihood, their major goals for the season are over. You know, and then you watch Notre Dame, who really should have lost. 
you know, the way that that game played out, you know, Virginia Tech pretty much gave away that game. You know, it just looked a lot, obviously looked a lot different. And again, a Virginia Tech team, I don't, I don't think is any good. I think they had their backup quarterback too, you know. Um, so yeah, testament to Michigan staff. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, but I, I fully agree, you know, and again, you want to nitpick a 31-point win on yeah. the road where they didn't give up a defensive touchdown, just go go find something else to do for a while then. I, it's just, you know, you can nitpick anything, I guess, but yeah. I mean, yeah, the offense looked sluggish for a short, for spurts, but again, this was methodical, mostly, mostly dominant performance you know and yeah maryland's not very good but like you said this is it's been over a full calendar year since they've beaten any level of team that handily away from michigan stadium so yeah yeah i mean it's rutgers and and even that rutgers game was kind of i mean it was technically a higher margin of victory but um yeah doesn't happen doesn't happen as much as you would think for a team that's had as much success at home as Michigan has had. I mean, they're 28 and four at home under Jim Harbaugh. So, um, yeah. What's your second takeaway? Uh, my second takeaway is that I think the defense is, I think the ceiling for this defense now is higher. I don't want to say than any of Michigan's defenses under, under Don Brown, but man, they're faster at they're fast enough or getting fast enough at the right spots to where I think that they're going to give Ohio State more problems than they did last year, for sure. I think, you know, and and It'd be hard hard not. To, no, like, I I, yeah. I get I get I get that I understand that, and that's you know, but I, I you know, I just I feel like. I don't know. I feel like this is sort of setting up for a collision course, you know, and I know the, the stakes are going to be different because Michigan's pretty much out, but I just, I like where Michigan's headed coming down the stretch. We'll see with Michigan State. I mean, you can never, you know, you can never fully write them off, you know, let alone the fact, you know, Bocce's out. You saw today, Daryl Stewart, their leading receiver by far. I, I suspect the way that D'Antonio phrased it does not sound like he'll be back by next hmm. weekend for the game. So you, you could legitimately argue that they'll be missing their best defensive and best offensive player uh, in that game. And hmm. and so, but that being said, you know, you again, it's just D'Antonio's at least earned the respect that you know that you know they're going to throw everything they possibly can at Michigan. So there is that. But that, that being said, though, it's just hard. It's just on paper, it's hard to see where Michigan State is going to, you know, make this a game. So, to me, I, I just look at it as, yeah, I think Michigan's rounding into form at the right time. And I think the the, the way the season is playing out is, as far as it almost, you know, potentially being a 180, where, whereas they would struggle in November, it was like I feel like the the, the makeup and the, the psyche of this team is, is a lot different right now than it was last November. And I think a lot of that's because the state, I think the stakes have almost, it's, well, I put it this way. Here's a great example, a great example to prove my point is Uche mentioning Ohio state during the presser after the game on Saturday. 
saying that we're ready, you know, we're looking forward to Michigan State, but we're already we're also already looking at looking forward to Ohio State too. They they want that game. And I'm not saying they've not wanted it before. I just think the way that it played out last year, where I think they went into Columbus thinking they were gonna win, and then they got embarrassed, I think has left a different taste in their mouth than any of at least under Harbaugh, at least the seasons under Harbaugh. So, and, and that stems, I think that is, that starts on the defense. And the defense, like I said, has gotten faster at the right spots. McGrone is not Devin Bush yet, but he is really starting to play more consistently like a guy who's, you know, Glasgow made the Buckus award list, the semifinals list. I would be surprised if McGrone is not on that list next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Daxon Hill. You know, I think I, I, I like their one-two combo at corner better this year just in terms of I think Ambry Thomas just straight line speed is just a faster guy that can maybe keep up and can lock down one of Ohio State's corners or uh, wide receivers, sorry. And and the defensive line, I think, is, is one unit that has steadily just gotten better and better throughout the season. So... I just I like the direction things are going for them right now. I feel and like I said, I, I just I feel like this is eventually building up towards a big collision course in Ann Arbor in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I say so yes. I I'm still laughing a little bit. Like I think they'll do better than they did last year. Like they they. If you're right, if you're I, Michigan's I coaches, you better be doing better than last year. You know what I you know what I mean. Though. I do. Like, I do. I think they're I think they're a little bit more set up for success. Quietly, really, really shutting down the big plays the past two weeks. And I, I, that was something I was curious about with Michigan's defense against Maryland because Maryland doesn't do a lot of things well, but they do have big play threats. And, and it almost seemed like Michigan was willing to bend in order to not break. Like it almost seemed like they were um, not prevent run defense, but kind of in that same vein where they're like, you know, we'd rather see where you're going before – we commit to pursuing you. Um, if that makes any, maybe that didn't make any sense to our listeners. But yeah, I think I think they've quietly shut down a little bit of the of the big play issues that they were having. I don't know that the next two weeks are going to prove much to me for Michigan's defense. But Maryland probably Notre Dame probably had the second next best offense to Wisconsin and Ohio State. And Maryland probably had the next best running backs to Wisconsin and Ohio State. So, did they close the gap all the way? We won't know until that game gets played. But I do think I do think there's been progress. And I think I'm a big believer in the more different players you have who can step up, the better shape you're you're in in your toughest games. So for Mike Dana to have maybe the best game of his Michigan career for Josh Metellus, as good as he has been. That was the best game of his Michigan career. You know, Uche with another with another nice performance. Do think it's fair to wonder why he can do it so much in some games and then not against certain other teams. But um, more players stepping up. I don't think anyone's going to say no to that for Michigan's defense. As you mentioned, they didn't allow a defensive point. So, and they had three trips to the red zone. Perfect example of Ben don't break. You know, they they let it happen and then they. Then they made adjustments and buckled down. Uh, one takeaway I have that that's maybe the one negative takeaway from this game is you mentioned they came out and ran the ball. I had a feeling they would. 
I said if I were them, I would not. I, I do think they they squandered an opportunity there. I think it's a very fair question. What do they gain from throwing the ball against Maryland and airing it out? Because they threw the ball 29 times, which is actually a decent amount. But what do they gain from really sending it downfield? And, you know, as I, at the radio station, I, I have been able to talk to a couple former players and they said you are what you are what you do in games. You know, you can practice it sure, but in reality your identity is what you do in games even if it's blowouts. And I think a good example is Oklahoma still throws the ball all the time. Guess who's the best in the country at throwing the ball? You know, same with Alabama. Yes, they sit to it for the fourth quarter a lot, but they they as far as throwing the ball, they, they do it. And and a lot of teams are really slinging the ball. Justin Fields actually is an example where they don't throw the ball a ton, but in the first half they do. And I think even though they had the lead, if you're trying to build a passing attack, and we have a question later on, but I'll, I'll spoil the answer, I think where Michigan needs to improve the most is in that downfield passing attack. I don't know why they they only they took what one shot, one shot a pure true downfield throw. That's that's not gonna work. You're not gonna go to Wisconsin or not. You're not gonna go face Ohio State and say, well, with with this defense and this rushing attack, you know, we can we can ride that. We can play the field position old school football battle. Wisconsin tried to do that. They had 83 rushing yards on Ohio State. You know, it's one thing if Wisconsin, if Ohio State doesn't have a good defense, but they do. It'd be one thing if Ohio State didn't have a good offensive line, but they do. They've made improvements from last season. They don't have quite, they don't have quite as many four-three receivers, but they've got a lot of playmakers too. And so it's going to be. I I think they, I don't think they did themselves any favors not throwing the ball more. I think they, they left some things on the table. Just, you know, maybe maybe even like two or three more drives or two or three more plays even. 176 passing yards. You didn't need to throw the ball. So to me, 176 passing yards on 29 pass attempts, I think, I think everyone would be feeling better about this team's chances and progress if they had thrown for even... 225 because this isn't even like a bad Maryland pass defense. This is a Maryland pass defense that has allowed 330 yards passing to five separate teams this year. Penn State threw for 400. Purdue threw for 400. Minnesota threw for 370. I mean, it's like everyone that everyone that they face just slings the ball over the place. That's like it's like the ultimate pick me up game. And I we we had the debate before the before the game. Michigan, if they feel good about their passing attack, I guess they don't need to. They'll probably win no matter what they do on offense, which was proven correct. I don't know. I think if you're looking at this team, the the only way to raise the team's ceiling above nine and three seems to be the passing attack. And I, I think this was a great opportunity to work on it. Cause that's that's how you do it in big games. You f- do it first in smaller games. You don't, 
you don't come out in on November 30th, keep in mind what time of year that is too, and decide, okay, this is the game where we throw it downfield all the time. Michigan's receivers, here's a stat, they have 36 catches combined in the last three games. 12 catches per game from the receivers. And that includes a game where they were trailing. Includes one half where the weather was terrible. I don't know. To me, I think I think they left some not 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 points. I don't I don't really care about the score. But I think if you're trying to progress your team and get your team better, I think if you're Michigan, you're 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 making sure Donovan Peoples Jones has more than two catches and eleven yards. And you're making sure Nico Collins has more than two catches. Now those those guys, those are supposed to be the guys who I mean, they both had 600 yards receiving last year. Those are supposed to be kind of your lean-tos. Those are the players you're leaning on in those big games. So I think they think they might have left something out there. I think again, this is not one of my biggest takeaways. I think the first three things that we've mentioned have been more important. But it's it's something to keep an eye on. You know, let's see what see what they do. Um and, and think about Michigan State. They're going to stack the box. I I think they're going to dare Michigan to throw it downfield. Sure. And so does that does Michigan do fine? Maybe. But at the same time, working on it and doing it in a game probably brings a little bit more value than doing it in practice. Well, also I was gonna say there's still two more games before they play Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. So there's time for them to open it up like that. You know, I'm still maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm out of touch, but I just, you know, history says whoever runs the ball better, more effectively between those two teams. Do you think, do you think think Michigan can run the ball enough to win in this game? I mean, that's where, that's where doing, that's where running the ball consistently comes in. I mean, that's, you know, I, I did, did you think they'd run for 300 yards against Notre Dame in a game where, you had to assume that both teams were going to have to run the foot. You know, it wasn't your typical game. I mean, it was the, the weather mm-hmm. was horrible. The, the, the passing game was never going to be a primary option for either team. Can they? I mean, that's the ultimate. That To me, that's the ultimate question. I just, it's the same reason, I you know, I don't know. If, if I'm, I, I think Dobbins is the most important player defensively that Michigan will have to stop in that game. Mm-hmm. Like, 100%. I, you have to, because like, I think we talked about it last week. What's the common denominator in every game between these two teams in the last eight years, it feels like, is their back takes like a 63-yarder to the house. Yeah. That pretty much ends That pretty much ends the game. I mean, that's it's happened ever. I can't, can't th- remember the last time that that didn't happen. So, you know, I, I guess I have enough faith, you know, strictly from a just a strategic standpoint that they, they know they're, they're, this is, I think, somewhat of it's got to be somewhat of a plan, planned kind of game plan from a macro standpoint. Now, I'd, I would say this. I'll give you this one. You know, in the next two games, if we don't see in one of those two games where maybe they open it up a little bit more, and I think, yeah, I think I agree that Michigan State is the easy choice because, yeah, I totally agree that they're going to stack the box. I mean, that's their they're going to try to take away one facet of the game and, and they have a good enough front seven to give Michigan, even without Bocce, you know, Mm -hmm. they definitely have a good enough front four to give Michigan, you know, some considerable problems there. So, you know, if we, if we 
come back in a couple weeks and, and yeah, they haven't, you know, we've seen a couple, we'll say a couple of the same stat lines that we saw passing the ball as we did this Saturday, then, then I'd grant you a little, I just, you know, there's still two more games left. I'm interested, I'm more interested to see, you know, what they do offensively in those next two games. I, I think one of the things now, right now is continuing to try to build confidence in their young backs. Haskins in particular, which again, I think he what? He had the first four or five plays of the game were carries for him, which is what I talked about going into the game. I thought he was mm-hmm. important as far as like keep feeding him the ball, let him build it, let him continue to build his confidence, you know, just get him some better, some legit reps. Because I, I can't imagine, and I haven't gone, I didn't really go back and look too hard, but I would assume that right now, even coming off Notre Dame, that Maryland probably kind of sold out to try to stop the run early too. Because Michigan has shown that that's kind of how they've come out. And so, you know, I felt going into this game, it was really important to keep building Haskins' confidence coming off of a huge game. And not just Haskins, but Charbonnet too. You know, true a little bit different. I mean, he's been around the block a little bit. He's a guy I think you can rely on whenever. But the young guys, I think you want to continue to get them more reps, build up more confidence heading into the, you know, the two of the three biggest games of the season. So, like I said, if they don't, if they come out, with sort of a similar game plan, and yeah, you see stat lines like what Peoples Jones had on Saturday, then I'll I would be much more liable to agree. It's just you know they're not playing Ohio State next week; they play them in three weeks still. So you know, four weeks. Yeah, they do have a bye week too. Um, well, whatever. No, no, I, I'm I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a while. Yeah. yeah, wasn't wasn't meant to be a correction; just more no, more an agreement. Um, do wonder well actually let's let's go ahead and jump into the questions because we have some that i think we'll discuss a little bit of this moving forward uh we only got one listener question this week that's okay we we came up with some of our own but this one comes from ike's toys or ike's toys uh, who said the offense subject subjectively seems better and appears more integrated with old running concepts especially it didn't look like that in the beginning of the year do you think there was some change by the staff or was this the result of a higher than anticipated transition cost? Um, for me, both. I I do I do I don't think there's a staff change. I think there is a change in the game plan. I I don't think it, I don't think Saturday has changed. You know, people keep asking, is Josh Gaddis still calling plays? Yes, he's still calling plays. But I do. It's hard for me not to think that when it's not not so much the lost to Wisconsin maybe maybe those first two games and then then you get toward the end of September and like the Iowa game and suddenly it's like this still is not working it's hard for me to think that Ed Warner who has been coaching since what 83 wasn't he Mark D'Antonio's roommate when they were GAs together um so so for 36 years and and Jim Harbaugh, who has coached at a whole bunch of different levels, a whole multitude of successful offenses, it's hard for me to imagine they both didn't generate more involvement in the game planning, not necessarily play calling, not necessarily what they're what they're doing, but yeah, I think they came in and they said okay to, to Josh Gaddis because Josh Gaddis was asked to change everything, which is. We've talked about it. They probably didn't need that. They probably didn't need to completely blow up the ship after they won 10 games last year and were, you know, one game against Ohio State away from 
probably a Big Ten title and a college football playoff appearance. And they were, what, a top, like, didn't we say they were, like, the 36th best offense or something like that? So my guess is that around the Iowa game, there was a, okay, this is not, this alone is not working. So, so yeah, you're right. The, the pin and pull is back. I know Sam at our site has written a lot of stuff about that. Um, you know, I think, I think a little bit of the, it just seems like a little bit more of an emphasis on being balanced than necessarily being fast or creative. A little bit, you know, they, they can, they, they're mixing tempos a little bit more from what I, I mean, I'm up in the press box. I don't, I don't have the, uh, I don't have the resources the staff has where they're pouring over what they're doing each and every step of the way. But it does it does seem subjectively different. I don't know if it's I don't think it was a staff change. I think the game plan itself was just okay. Maybe this year shifting to a full-fledged Alabama Penn State type of offense was a stretch given the personnel. And instead they're just changing the game plan a little bit. I do think some of the passing concepts are I mean you're starting to see some things work. And I think part of that is transition. You know, some 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 schools have made it look really easy to switch offenses. LSU I'm sure is the perfect example where all of a sudden they're just this crazy good offense. But I think I think there's something to be said for it. It's not going to happen right away. And so I, I don't know, Steve, what do you think here? I, I think it's, I think they changed their game plans just a little bit. And, and as you mentioned, the run game developing helped them do that. And the offensive line being healthy helped a lot. Ed Warner seemed to cryptically kind of tiptoe around the idea that there were other players injured. Shea Patterson is obviously the, the hot, most documented unofficial injury that there was this season. They seem to be healthier on offense. So that that doesn't hurt either. But I'm thinking I'm thinking it's game plan kind of not not resorting to 2018 but finding a middle ground a little bit between what they did last year and what worked last year and what what they want to become this year. And then probably some transition Transition cost. I like that phrase. Um, some time that it takes for it to for it to mesh. Because yeah, the turnovers. A lot of those turnovers we mentioned were in. You know, it seemed like miscommunication type plays, either in mesh points or or even some throws or um, blocking missed assignments. So there's some of that too. I don't know. I, I the answer is almost always both when it's was it this or this. Probably both. That that would be my assessment. I mean, you pretty much answered it for me, too. I'm pretty much in full agreement with you. Okay. Yeah, uh. no, I mean, you, 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 <laughs> kind of, you, you went on for a while, and I, and I think uh, it was good. That's what I was kind of thinking. So if okay, less, well, people want to, less people want to hear me say the exact same thing that you did. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, the next one <laughs> can be all you. Um and this is we were just talking about this. I actually wrote this before the podcast, and since I don't have another one ready, uh, why, in your your opinion, Steve, why no passing game, uh, even in the blowout? So even in the blowout, why? What is the benefit to 
not no passing game. Why 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 no downfield passing game? Why why was the only throw they threw deep downfield uh, that one to Nico Collins that occurred what right after the fake punt? Uh, you know, I guess this is kind of the way I, I I've been looking at this that whole i this whole idea is think about what they did when they were down against Penn State. They were able to pass the ball mid range and I wouldn't say like deep deep range, but like that sort of mid that ten to twenty yard. You know, they were able to throw the ball pretty successfully. The other thing is too that I think maybe people forget. I feel like this line is better equipped to protect the pass. So I think the more the more oh you refining, do okay. I mean, again, until Notre Dame, you could argue that they had not really run the ball effectively against anybody, at least on a consistent. Let's say the second half against the second half against Penn State. We'll say that, but in in you know other in games against a lot of lesser opponents, Michigan hadn't really shown consistent success running the football, and and that's where I think it's a situation where people talk about. You know, refining the passing game. I think when they had when their backs were against the wall and they had to throw the ball against Penn State, I actually they threw the ball kind of down the field like at will a lot in the second half. Again, not like the Nico, not every like deep Nico shot, but I'm talking like I said that 10 to 20 yard range where you know they were able to piece together a few drives pretty quickly, pretty easily. So I kind of look at it as like everyone always talks about. You know, it's a as look at the quarterbacks, the receivers, the backs, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of this comes down to the offensive line needing to figure things out too, or, or needing to, you know, refine and maximize their potential. You know, and for them, there's two different facets. There's, you know, they're responsible for Michigan success running and passing the ball. So I think a lot of times, you know, I do. I think the emphasis has been on refining. You know, because we think about this, we talk about how a guy like Ruiz you know, really had not played well at all until that game against Notre Dame. And you see, you know, him taking a step forward, the success that it brings them running the football. As I think, I just think there's more of an emphasis right now. Like I said, there's still two more games before Ohio State, but just an emphasis on refining that running game. Mm-hmm. And not, and we talk, I, I know I mentioned, I know I mentioned getting the young backs some confidence, but I think you want to give your offensive line a little bit of confidence as well heading into the, the final stretch. So, you know, I, I, now here's the thing. I I'm in full agreement with those who are confused that they don't throw the ball downfield to Collins, especially a little more often just because of the success rate they've had in doing so. But at the same time, I don't know if, you know, 31 to seven, at the end of the third quarter on the road against Maryland, you know, is that really going to people feeling better about their passing game? If they, you know what I mean? I I don't know. No, I I know what you mean. Yeah. So I I just, again, I just, I don't know. It's funny with the speed and space and all this kind of stuff, but I just, at the end of the day, I think they need to refine their running game as much as possible before they, for the final game of the season. So, Sure. I get it though. I I don't dis I don't necessarily like I, I get the idea that like okay, okay if they want to refine the running game that's fine. But when they are throwing the ball, why do they not? You know why do they not throw it down the field more? It went on the times that they do throw the ball. Like I do understand that, mm-hmm. but you know I also I feel like 
big picture wise, they, you know, I think I just feel like they have the night a grasp on what they need the most work on, and and you know what needs to be done to refine that and fix it. Because like I said, I I look back at the pen, you know, th- when's the last time outside of Wisconsin were they let's say they really really needed to throw the football. It was the second half against Penn State. You're down by three touchdowns. You're on the road. You know, they're having okay success running the ball. And what did they do? You know, I thought they, like I said, whipped the ball up and down the field pretty easily. Do you think so? I mean, you know, they didn't. There were a few, like, it was was their best. I thought the second half against Penn State, that had to have been the best we've seen the passing game all season, correct? I mean, have we seen the passing game more effective than we did? No, but I don't know if that that's game. necessarily. I don't no, think that, I know that, that says a lot. That doesn't yeah. say that doesn't say a ton, but at the same time, did they ever drop from tying the game? They were down by three touchdowns on the road to a, well, they're ranked in the top ten, uh, a top ten level opponent, you know, and they were a drop ball away from tying the game. I mean, their passing game did get them. You know, I know they ran the ball in on a couple of the touchdowns, but it was a passing game that kind of set that up. So. I don't know. It's your ultimate push and pull type deal. I just mm-hmm. the fact that they keep putting an emphasis on the running game tells me that that's what they think they need the most work on if they're going to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Still. Yep. Okay. Let's let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. I know you just talked about your your take on the defense, and I, I'm in a similar boat. Would you take this defense over the 2016? and 2018 defenses? If so, why or why not? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. I mean, I'd I'd almost lean yes because I I actually think from like 1 to 5, 1 to 6, I think they're more effective at getting to the quarterback than they were last season. I don't know if the numbers bear that out. I'd have to look. But I feel like they're deeper in their pass rush. And like I said, I think that they've gotten a lot faster at two very important positions. Well, they haven't gotten faster at linebacker, but they haven't lost as much speed from Bush departing as maybe we thought they would heading into the year. right? I think the narrative at linebacker heading into the season was, well, they're not going to replace Devin Bush, but the guys they have you know, cumulatively will – you know, make it to like we expect Hudson to have a bounce back season, and and that that will make it up. You know, they won't be as good, but they'll be good enough at backers still. You know, but at safety with Hill, who again I think is gonna you're gonna see his. I think he'll he'll play more and more the last three weeks of the year, mm-hmm. and even at like I said at cornerback, I think I just I think their team speed from top to bottom is a little bit faster. They're not quite as strong in the interior. I mean, there's no we'll give them that, and they're definitely not as deep on the interior. That's the one. That's still to me the one major hang-up for them. You know, these last three games is that there's st- the depth is still not quite there in the middle. There's just a lot of pressure on Kemp and Dwumfor to produce. You don't have four or five guys that you can confidently you know, roll out there. And again, like guys like, you know, a Monet or a Marshall, they weren't stars, but they were definitely good enough to put in the middle and, and, you know, and and give the other guys a little bit of a breather. So, you know, I think that's the one thing, but yeah, I think top to bottom, 
I think they're better at getting to the quarterback, and I think they're faster. So, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one. 16 is just so hard to say that you would take the, any defense over six. I mean, the 16 defense had right. so much talent on it. It's an, it's hard to look at that that group from top to bottom and say that you would take, you know, that you would take this year's group over that group because what are there seven, seven pros, eight pros on that defense right now? So mm, yeah, yeah, right just about. I mean, Think about Wormley, Glasgow. I mean, the defensive line alone, I think, had four or five pros because Gary was already playing. You had Gideon at backer. You had two corner, two corners that are in the pros now. Well, so, how many pros do you think this defense has? Because off the top of my head, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, now that you think, but they were. It was a. It was an uh, an experienced. You know, I, I, how many will eventually be pros? The number is probably the same, but a lot of these, you know, the 16 team, I think there was just a lot of experience as well. Uh, it wasn't just mm-hmm. talent. I mean, it was guys that had been through it. So, but, I, it, you know, maybe this would be second behind that group, I guess. I don't know. I just, I like the makeup. Because, like, you think about it, and I'm not, we don't have to go back down that rabbit hole again, but there have been a lot less... Well, you look at Ohio State last year where it was a combination of just a lack, a difference in talent but scheme. But Michigan's, I think their shortcomings defensively this year have been have more of, been more of the hiccup in scheme variety than it has been just not being more talented than the guy across from them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to me that says, you know, you got three more weeks if you get that. You know, if they continue, much like I talked about the offensive line, it was like you, you refine those spots. You know, and like I said, I think McGrone played as close to mistake-free football as he has on Saturday. You know, even in Notre Dame, I think he took a big step. But earlier in the season, he would – it was great in flashes, but he was a little inconsistent. You know, and a guy like that continuing to kind of refine himself and, and make less mistakes on a play-to-play basis, you know – gives this defense a, just a, a very, very high ceiling. So it's an interesting question, but I, I just yeah. I like the speed of this defense top to bottom. I like the, the depth of this defense, and I think I think the speed is better. I think the secondary, I mean, Jordan Lewis, it's really hard to put anybody over him. But I think collectively, if you're going four or five, you know, who are your four or five best secondary players? think i'd take this year's group i mean well, ambry ver- thomas has been st- there's not a stat that doesn't have ambry thomas near you know i know i know pro football focus has always seems to have been high on michigan defensive backs and michigan yeah. corners in particular <laughs> but but thomas is putting up numbers in though in their eyes like very similar to what lewis and, and long have done and that that doesn't even you're not even mentioning lavert hill who's just kind of the constant right i think thomas right. was the thomas was the question heading into the year. But, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think 1-2, this is up there. Yeah. You know? Is, well, like and Delano one, Hill, DeMonte Thomas versus Josh Mattel's Brad Hawkins. That's – Sure. Hawkins is another guy that yeah. we should get thrown into that conversation. Is a guy who is figuring I, – I look at it and I think – I feel like is figuring it out. And and what makes – what's great about that is the question with him is not the athletic ability. He has all the athletic ability. The question is learning – you know, and and minimizing your mistakes. You know, and a guy, if a guy like that figures it out, the ceiling goes higher. 
It's not a deal where it's like, okay, this guy makes consistently good decisions, but his athletic ceiling is l relatively limited. Because a guy like that can be exposed in a certain situation, right? You know, and, mm -hmm. and whereas a guy who's got the athletic talent, if they figure it out, then yeah, I mean, then bring it. Because then you can match up with almost anybody. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some there's some ceiling to grow. I'd still take 2016. I, I did like a little bit of a positional breakdown. I think, I think 2016 gets gets the edge. I, it's closer than I thought it was going to be. It is. It is once again probably, probably can give some credit to the coaches and and the leaders. I mean, I still go back to against Notre Dame when Cam McGrone is following. I think I think it was Komet and Khalil Hudson like grabs him and says, "Nope, your assignment is the running back," and I'm on the tight end. And McGrone gets the running back for a stop, and so it's you know good leaders. Seems like they're still working hard. We don't we don't see practices, but this seems like the progress is there so if they're progressing without working hard that's i guess that's just as impressive as working hard and progressing but yeah i think it's i think it's closer than i thought it was going to be probably probably do give the edge to 2016 2017 can't be overlooked either i think that was you know to add mo Hurst to basically what the 2018 defense was uh, it makes a big difference as well just they sure. just didn't have the offense to match up to it what do you um, say what do you say real quick? 16, do you kind of think the difference is Jabril? New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Yes. Still, yes. So it just oh, and Glasgow. Yeah. The other true. Glasgow. Other yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those are two players that they just not that they were the only two players that did well, but I, I feel like Wormley and Charlton versus Hutchinson and Pay. You know, it's it's not. I'd, I'd give the edge to Wormley and Charlton, but it's it's push ish. Um, Secondary is probably push ish. I do think McGrone and Jordan Glasgow beat out what McCray and Gideon. Um, maybe that's just me. No, nah, that's but fair. Then, at this point but, in the season. But but still kind of like push ish. I think it's where where it just changes completely is when it's Jabril Peppers and Ryan Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah. Jabril was um, you don't have guys like that coming around every corner. I mean, he was still underappreciated in my opinion. He was a special talent. Okay, Steve, what what is Michigan's biggest concern with three games to go? Uh, kind of covered that already. I, I I tend to believe it's just the depth on the interior of their defensive line still. I still, again, if, if, we're, if I'm going to talk about how I think J.K. Dobbins is the guy that Michigan needs to slow down against Ohio State, then I think that, you know, and what do you where do you run the football normally? Up the middle, or at least I know Ohio State really tries to because it opens everything up for them. It's the way they've always done it. It's kind of one part of Day's offense. I don't think it's changed much. Is you know the the flashy the the uh, skill position guys and the quarterbacks seem to get all the pub, but really it's their their offensive line and their running game that has really driven a lot of their success offensively, in my opinion. Yeah, so, Fields only you know, is thrown for two hundred and seven yards a game. Yeah, right. And but you wouldn't know that 
I mean, uh, how on earth is like it, it was honestly the whole time is amazing to me that he was ahead of, like ahead of Dobbins in most. But Dobbins like he's just now getting put, but man, like Dobbins one of the more underrated, underappreciated Ohio State players I can ever remember. Like he's putting up. He's going to leave there as maybe the leading rusher in program history, if I remember right. And like you don't ever hear anything about it. It's all is he? Huh. He okay. I, he was he's he's in the he's in the conversation. I know that they were just I don't know if it was last week or the week before that they were talking about it. And again, he's now starting to get some national love, but that wasn't up until about a couple weeks ago when really, like I said, I think again with them. It's just they've always run the ball so well. They get the, it's a, a lot of the talk is about their receivers and and their quarterback play, but their running game's always been awesome. So that being said, you know Michigan. It's nice to see Chris Hinton getting some more reps. I know he played, you know, in non garbage time last Saturday, but I think they just 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 bodies alone you know, in the middle is, is really the biggest thing, the biggest concern I would have because you're putting more and more pressure on your linebackers in that regard. Because again, teams that can run the ball are going to just try to go right up the middle and wear that group out, you know, because if they could slow them down in the running game, you're going to slow them down in the pass rush too. And then you can maybe try to go to work a little bit or devote more of your resources on the outside. If you're taking on two you know, defensive tackles who are maybe a little tired or, you know, not quite a hundred percent fresh, you know, in the third and fourth quarter. So that'd be my biggest concern. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that and the other one, honestly, quietly real quick field goal kicking hasn't been, yeah. it hasn't been overly consistent so far this season, you know, and, and if you're in a close game, you're going to need one of these guys to step up. It's kind of ironic that you know, and, and you wonder in hindsight if if this split deal was maybe not the right, you know, the right way to go about it. I don't. You had, I can't imagine that it r- was. Right. Any I mean, kicker well, would tell you no. Yeah. You had two. You had two guys who. And again, the thing is, is it's kind of a tough spot for Michigan because it's you can see the logic because both guys capable, right? Both guys would be a starting kicker for a lot of other programs, mm-hmm. but. You know, you look at the results so far this year, and it's hard not to kind of question going that route. You know, because nobody's really gotten into a rhythm at all this season. And Moody, who's who won the job because of his consistency, has not produced. And now you're left with Nordeen, who can kick it a mile, but has never really been consistent. So that's the other thing too. You know, it doesn't get talked a lot about. So yeah. By the way, I looked it up. J.K. Dobbins. He is. Just over 400 yards away from, or no, just under 400 yards away from being second in Ohio State history. He is um, about 2,000 yards away from catching Archie Griffin, so he'd what have to come that? back another right. year. But but he's about to. He he will probably catch Ezekiel Elliott for second all time. Okay, what was it? There was a. It was some stat relative to Griffin. Maybe he'd outrush Griffin in his first three seasons or something. Then and maybe that's what it was. I just know mm-hmm. like his pace or his production has been on par with anybody they've ever had. And you would never, I, you know, nationally, I don't know if anybody would even realize that. And, you know, and when you consider some of the backs they've had, like, you know. So. They're about to have their, they have, they already have five, no, six, six 3,000-yard career rushing running backs in, in this decade. Yeah. That's Again, insane. That's what I say. That's, what I, that's, why, that's why I say, like, you know, 
running the they've running the football is what has always opened everything up for them. It's not not saying that you don't want to you know, you got to stop the pass obviously, but man, it's it's going to be slowing him down is going to be the key for them defensively. 100% believe that. So He's about to have their fifth 1,500-yard rushing season this decade. That's – wow. Um, anyway, uh, biggest concern for me, are it's been plowed in this podcast um, passing game. I, I just – I do I look at that Michigan – or not Michigan State, I guess, a little bit, but more so the Ohio State-Wisconsin game, and I just look at Wisconsin's game plan and how easily Jonathan Taylor was shut down, and I just – I mean – you know, with all respect to Haskins and Charbonnet, I, I don't think they hold a candle to Jonathan Taylor. And so I do wonder, yeah, the, the lines are a little different. It's different in, in Ann Arbor versus Columbus, and and there are different nuances to consider there instead of just the transitive property. But it's it's hard for me to imagine Michigan going in, running the ball two-thirds of the snaps, and winning. It really is. And so I think they're going to need to throw it downfield at some point. Uh, I've talked about that plenty. Next question. Oh, <laughs> okay. I typed it out. Will Maryland ever be good? But I want to expand this a little bit because we had this discussion about the Big Ten. It's every every year. Every year, Michigan is going to, at least based on what we've seen so far in the Harbaugh era, they're going to lose a couple games. I think they averaged two losses in Big Ten play. So they're, they're going to lose a couple games to good teams. And and then they're going to beat up on everybody else. But what's interesting is we, we look at this weekend where, while Michigan's at home, just on its bye week, you have Minnesota. Minnesota, who somehow they play, they host Penn State. That is, that is it as far as top 10 teams, top 15 teams. They, they do play Wisconsin. They get to host Wisconsin. Their only road game against a ranked team will be Iowa. Somehow they're, you know, and, and then you look at, uh, there are other teams out there who, who avoid Michigan and Ohio State. You know, it's, uh, I think this year, who else did it? It might have just been Minnesota. Some years it's, it's Northwestern. Some years Illinois has that distinction. I don't know, Steve. I, I guess my question is, if you're one of these crummy teams like a Maryland or an Indiana, I mean, are 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 you not looking at other conferences even, and maybe thinking about joining those because every year you're guaranteed to be worse than third in your own division, and then and then you also look around the conference and it's like then you you have to look at like like take Purdue. Purdue this year did not face Ohio State. Now, granted, maybe they, they they might say they want Ohio State, but they didn't have to face Ohio State or Michigan. And like that basically just gives them, if they're facing Maryland and Rutgers, that gives them two more opportunities to win than say, oh, was there any team that played them both? Like like Iowa who has to play Penn State every single year and then plays Michigan. You know, I don't know, or Wisconsin. Wisconsin had to face Michigan and Ohio State this year. They won one, but it's like it just—it just seems so imbalanced. So, two-part question: How can they restructure this to make it right? And then, two, looking existentially. I mean, what what is if you're a Big Ten East team? 
what is your what are you leaning on? What are you believing in? I mean, Mike Loxley, he's got to be like coach. He's pretty much just coaching for his next job because there's no way he will ever win the division at Maryland, right? Or unless I'm crazy, unless I'm wrong here. Well, Maryland's an interesting example because I feel I do think that. I mean, I know they're in a good recruiting spot. That's but that, that but that makes that's a huge that's a big back pocket. That's an ace up your sleeve, and I think the I think that's the actually I do I think that's the one program, not just in the East but maybe like in the West that under the right guidance could could kind of maybe stake a claim or or become a, a problem for like the big dogs because it's it's not just a good recruiting area. I mean the DMV area is one of the most talent rich areas in the entire country. I mean it's it's on par with it's not quite on par with maybe like Texas and Florida and California, but it's up there. I mean, there are those schools are loaded. Like, think about just how loaded St. Francis Academy alone is. Yeah, got, but they're so good. Teams are like opting not to play them. I get it, but there's probably yeah. 10, 15 others. There's 10, 15 other schools in that general area that are producing five, six D1 guys a cycle. I mean, it's, you know, St. John's, there's Gonzaga, there's. A uh, bunch of programs in Northern Samantha, Virginia, yeah. you know, like so. That's one program I think a little bit differently of in that regard. Now, yeah, I'm not a big, you know, believer in Mike Loxley to begin with. I didn't. That was a, uh, yeah, I just what was he two and thirty five at New Mexico or something. So, you know, just so not a guy let's was, who's let's say they let's say they hired Kyle Whittingham. Okay. Do you think Kyle Whittingham? who's coaching at Utah, has coached at Utah. Do you think he could ever win the Big Ten East? I mean, it's it, it, you're not expecting me to say yes. You know what I mean? So I get it. Right. I, get it for, I get it from that regard. I just I do think that there are a few programs. And here's the other thing, too, that I don't think enough programs... Like, they basically need Urban Meyer to come through. Sure. Well, and... What's Urban's calling card? I know that he's a winner, but the other thing is, is I think pound for pound, he might be the best recruiting head coach ever. Like he's yeah. up there, and so you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I look at yeah, I think Maryland's a little bit of a special situation in that regard, where I think the right guy could do the could do some really big things there. I just. It really does come down to recruiting. The other thing, though, too, you got to remember, and this is what I, one thing I'm big on, is like I think a lot of these bottom-tier programs are never, and I, I understand there's pressure, but never patient enough. You know, that's why I said this year heading into the season where, like, people were talking about Lovey Smith, you know, being on the hot seat at Illinois, and it's like you, you can't expect somebody – to fully turn around a program like that in three seasons. It's ridiculous to even think that. And now look, you know, I think this is his fourth year. And look where they're at now. Yeah. They're not going to win the division, but you're telling me that you don't think Illinois maybe in the next few years can maybe contend in the West? I mean, That's it's hot. That's a different beast, though. That's not I, fair. I, I, <laughs> I, under, I, under, I understand that, but at the same time, yeah. though... Um, I mean, are you proposing that they split Michigan and Ohio State or split Penn State, you know, like move Penn State over? Or like, what are you, what's their, what's your resolution? I like the Big 12. 
I mean, first of all, so no divisions. No divisions. You can I'd have. Be okay. I'd be okay with no divisions. Honestly. Everyone, everyone can find two games that they want to protect. Yep. Maybe you add a couple more if you're the Big Ten, just for consistency's sake. Like you face face them, you know, year in year out or whatever. Nine game conference schedule. I I know Big Ten people want it to stop until the other conferences play ball. I I do like the nine game conference schedule. I maybe I it's do. the reporter in me. I like covering Big Ten games more than I like covering them playing uh, Seesaw State. You know, right. it's it's. I do too, but I also yeah. you got. I mean, the other side of it's very easy to look at too, though. I mean, you know, there are a lot of like in built in advantages for a lot of other conferences, the SEC in particular, maybe the ACC too, as far as you know, eight game conference schedule. And I know, like, I'll give Bama especially. And Georgia, I mean, Georgia played, did a home-and-home home with Notre Dame, but, you know, credit for, like, scheduling some decent teams in the non-conference. But at the same time, I, I, I it, it's almost at least at least canceled out by the fact that every SEC team got a bye week last, or was it la- not last week, but at least have a bye week last week or this week where they play a school that is of no consequence, where they basically yeah. can rest, basically can rest their players. You know, they're good players. They can basically rest yeah. these guys in the middle of November – you know, before they, because I think Dabo was on, was whining about the criticism of the ACC when it's like, man, when his, one of his things was about how fresh people complain that Clemson's just been fresh the last two seasons in the playoff because they haven't played anybody. And it's like, that's what I, that's what I think. Yeah. Who is Clemson? Who is Clemson played? Who are they going to play from now until the playoff? You know, like you're I don't know. I've that- I've been to. I'm sure you have too. Been to those FCS games at Michigan's, and they should never, ever, 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 ever schedule an FCS team. I I don't disagree. Ever. I do. I agree. I'm in. I'm in favor of a nine game conference schedule. I'm I'm with you on that. I just I see the other side of it though. Just in the grand scheme of, the other thing is too. At least is the way the landscape is currently built out. And I we may have briefly talked about this before. I hate. Michigan is a program that does is the way the landscape currently is. They do not need to schedule a high quality team in non-conference at all. There is no reason to do it. Like the mm. fact they're going to the fact they're going to Washington to begin the season next year is, in my opinion, is just beyond stupid. There is no reason. They're gonna get. They're gonna be probably preseason. Let's say they're what preseason top twelve. Let's just say. Let's just mm-hmm. say they're like twelve, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they play Washington or Eastern Washington in that week one, if they run the table, they're in the playoff. Instead, if they lose that game in week one, now of course they have time to rebound and you know rebuild themselves in the eyes of a committee or whatever. But you're you're basically handicapping yourself to like I would I would schedule the easiest. And again, I wouldn't do FCS because I'm with you on that. I think it's a joke. But I, I would not schedule a difficult team. Not until they change. Not until they actually change the the format or the, or they change the criteria for what actually constitutes you know a good team. Because here's the thing. Just put it this way, Zach. Tell me if you agree with me. Maybe you won't. Let's say Michigan wins out. Let's say Clemson slips up. And one of these cup, one of these games before their conference title game, mm-hmm. 
you're telling me and say so Michigan wins out, they beat Ohio State, they beat Notre Dame, top ten teams. You're t- I, I'm sorry, but a two-loss Michigan with those two losses, it to me is a better is has a better resume than a one-loss Clemson team who literally did not play a single team of consequence all season long, except for te- maybe maybe Texas A&M, but even they I think have three or four losses at this point. Yeah. You know, and that's where, and that's where, like I said, until the criteria. But we don't know where we don't know where the ranking because that's not what history has shown. History has shown. Now, granted, it has fallen relatively into place. I think the playoff committee has gotten it right every single year. Right. I don't I'm think not, any team has it, been punished for scheduling too tough, and I don't think any team has been rewarded for scheduling soft. And I think if one example is Ohio State, if they lose to Michigan, they they don't they're not going to the playoff. But that's the thing, though. Is that and I would actually, you could use them in the same scenario. Let's say Clemson runs the table. Did they? It's just like it, it, why? But Ohio like, State didn't play anybody. Their best non-conference was Cincinnati, who they beat fair. forty-two nothing. That's true. They're weak. They're they. Yeah. I, and I okay, think Penn I, State. Penn State finds themselves in a similar boat where they both are in a tough division. And I think that that's not irrelevant. But as far as their scheduling, Pitt, Penn State scheduled Pitt at home. They barely beat them. I think if they lose a game, I think they're out too. Whereas Michigan last year, because it was Notre Dame on the road, they went into that final week of the season saying, hey, win two more, and Michigan's in the playoff. So, you know, I know what you, I know I understand what you're saying. And, and Washington, is a that's a bad schedule just because going out west is never – I don't think it's ever worked for a Big Ten team. No, it's um, it's, a, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's 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 not a good. It's just a bad. It's not good. I mean, even even Bo's teams, I feel like, lost a couple games where they went out west, and it was like, that was the only loss they had all year, or something like that. And so, um, best team ranking wise, that Clemson, like, there's not the only team left on their schedule right now is Wake. Yeah, besides that, there's not a team that they played this season so far who is currently ranked right now. I think they're in trouble if they lose, honestly. I, they, I know oh, if they, if they lose one, they should be they should be out no questions asked. Yeah. I'm not a big I'm not a you know, I'm not one of those the national guy who thinks that like the like the top 4 in the SEC should be in the playoff, but <laughs> but you know, you're telling me I, I'm sorry, but the loser of LSU Alabama would be way I would put them in a hundred times over a one loss Clemson team, or yeah. even if George if Georgia was to run the table, mm-hmm. you'd put I'd put Georgia in there way before a one loss Clemson. Like it, look, and again I'm it, it's it's a little unfair to Clemson because on a the regular ACC sucks a, yeah well in a normal year you know Louisville would be a solid matchup Florida State even Texas A and M you know. But in South Carolina, I suppose. I mean, it's still kind of a soft schedule, even if you, even if some of these programs were like at their peak or like at a at a high level. But still, it's like it's it's. I mean, they're scheduled a joke. I mean, there's just no yeah. other way to put it. If Wake Forest is the best team you have in your schedule, sorry, like right. they should be. Their resume should be under a microscope at the end of the year. It can, you know, because I'm I'm telling like I just don't see. I mean, I I think even if Clemson runs the table, you're telling me a one loss LSU like if the loser of that game if they win out, you, like 
I don't know. I don't know. And again, I know Clemson won it all last year. Don't get me wrong, but this is not that's and that's where that's my that's part of my problem is a lot of this is perception based. Where I think mm-hmm. Clemson would get in over that team just because they won it last year, right. not anything to do with what they actually did on the field this season. But they would get in because of the it just people would think the just the perception of how on earth could you take out the defending national champion if they ran an undefeated schedule? They would not be looked at objectively at all. Right. Yeah. Back to the Big Ten. Back to the Big Ten. I think the one thing that that I'm curious about, and this is, I think this ends up being a pretty good case for realignment, is if you're PJ Fleck and you have a hunch that D'Antonio, this might be his last season, which program would you rather coach right now, Minnesota or Michigan State? I think it's Minnesota. I, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's crazy to be even, talking like that but Michigan State yeah. with Minnesota the has a, yeah, yeah yeah with the imbalance in the no it's like you said the west is just it's such a different beast than the east yeah. you know that like like yeah i mean there are a few programs in the east or in the west right now that i think would be a more attractive spot than Michigan State is and again i don't say that like gloating as you know as, as us covering Michigan i don't say that like with like oh yeah i don't care I know, but you know, people will take that if we say anything like negative about Michigan State. But it's just really the landscape, you know, is is it's more conducive to a program like Minnesota right now than it would be to Michigan State. Yeah, because so. here they are eight zero, whereas Michigan State had to play, um, had to play Ohio State, they had to <laughs> at play Wisconsin, Penn State at, at Ohio State. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, it's it's tough, and and it's just like yeah, I'm sure PJ Fleck was like two years ago was like. Oh, I would absolutely take the Michigan State job over the Minnesota job. But now it's like he's got to be sitting there like, let's see. Every year I get to face Illinois, Purdue, Nebraska, Northwestern. Not that the, that's always wins, but that is your big four along with Wisconsin and Iowa. I mean, you take that over Michigan and Ohio State. And he's like, yeah, instead of facing Michigan and Ohio State every single year, I face them each once every three years. Yes, I will take that. And so I think they got to get rid of the divisions. I think two two protected games every school can have. Um, that still probably puts Michigan in a bind because they're playing Ohio State every year when other teams aren't. But at the same time, I just I, – I, I feel no, I really bad I for Maryland. I feel bad for Maryland because – their path to eight wins, and same with you know Indiana might pull it off this year because they had they had the easiest crossover schedule. But it's um, the path to eight wins is like impossible. I mean, you basically need need all the die to roll in your favor, and and you need a need a couple of the the big teams to to fall off. But anyway, final question. We already kind of discussed our qualms with how weird the system is. Uh, but Jim Harbaugh today on ESPN, ESPN article, he proposed a 11 team playoff and he went, he went in depth about it. You know, he didn't ever, everyone else just kind of said, yeah, I'd like this or I'd like this. He, he went in depth. He wants an 11 team playoff. He wants the top two teams to get a buy. Let me make sure I have this right. Maybe the top four teams to get a buy. Anyway, there are five, there are four power five good teams those are the high seeds 
and then there's one group of five or Notre Dame or independent or whatever. And then the next six teams all face off December one. So it's it's teams what five uh, six through eleven. And then December eighth, this is the hypothetical of last year. December eighth, the three winners and the five teams that got buys all face off in a quarterfinal, home and home. Um, and then they do the standard semifinal and final after that. I assume he's did he? I'm looking at his. <laughs> yeah, gotta love this. He he sent a picture of, of he took a photo of a printed out bracket that he filled out using last year's team. So Michigan was a seven seed, if I'm not mistaken. They were eight, eight seed. Eight seed, sure. And they were facing Central Florida, who was a nine seed. Yes, Michigan would have opened up against UCF. And I I didn't see how he did it, but I assume that would have been a game at the big house, correct? Yes, it would have been in, in Ann Arbor, yep. Yep, fair. And Yeah, so we've talked about the 16 team, and we actually outlined it one time and talked about how only, like, what, two teams would be playing more games than they would already. And actually, several teams would be playing less because you get rid of conference championships. Um, what do you think of eleven? Kind of a weird number, you know, to to be among the final eleven. I almost feel like you might as well just do twelve, right? But, but what? But what do you think of his plan? I, I know, I, I know, people are laughing because he's the only one that's really putting out yeah, full put details. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> that's what I laugh, but like, I th- just because I think it's cool. Like, I think it's it's it's. It's just, it's Harbaugh. That's, uh, it's the most, you know, because the, the rest of the article, I don't know if people, a lot of people maybe listen to this have already read it, but. It is interesting just, stuff. Yeah. It is. No, I agree. It's just, most of them were just answered yes or no if they wanted to expand. And then there were a few, like, just extra quotes. You know, like Gus Malzahn gave a one sentence, sorry, two sentence quote. You know, about what he thought. Meanwhile, Harbaugh sends a full screenshot with, you know, he wasn't this, he, he did this before he was even asked about it. This was not something he did because he was expected, expecting to be asked about this topic. It was something that he'd already had that just on hand, right? I mean, you, yeah, because they asked him, he said, I came up with my own structure. I can take a picture of it and send it to you. <laughs> um, I like. Well, I like eleven more than four. I'm I'm in yes, favor of yeah. you know I, I'm in favor of expanding it just for the simple. We actually you know there's some discussion on the board today about just that whole tired. You know, should the team try to win their bowl game or not? As things stand right now, if you're not in the playoffs, I who I don't who cares? Honestly, they the you know one of the responses was well there were only a handful of bowl games that mattered beforehand. How is it any different? And I I don't disagree. It's just the perception now is even more watered down, you know, as far as those bowl games, especially when you consider the, again, and I'm, I'm fully in favor of, you know, if you're an NFL prospect and you're not playing in a playoff game, then I sit out. Like I just, you know, will always say that. So I'm, I'm in favor of expanding it for sure, just to expand the amount of meaningful games there are. You know, because I do. There is. There's basically three meaningful college football bowl games now. There's the two playoff games, the national championship game. Sorry, but that's it. Especially now with the Rose Bowl not even being Big Ten and Pac-12 every year. You know, that's thrown into that rotation. You know that 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 bowl game is only meaningful when it's a playoff game. So, 
mm-hmm. as far as his, I, you'd have to you'd have to look at it. I I I I like the eleven. I like his. I I actually like his idea. I think it makes a lot of sense. You talk about the the non power five. You know which. You know, it's it's interesting that he did that because you're almost handing Notre Dame a playoff yeah, spot. Yeah, they're not going to be the year. top seed every right, year. <laughs> right, right. You're almost handing Notre Dame a playoff spot. So that, I mean, maybe refine that a little bit or, or you know, something like that. But I, I, there's a few things about it that I especially like. And I don't think it, I don't think a couple of these ideas are too unique. I like the idea of like early round games being at a given team's stadium. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. I also like how he, I like what he did as far as there still being a gap. So there's, there's there's games on December 1st, and then there's games on December 8th. I like that the gap from there goes to the 29th. So there's still that, that sort of holiday finish up recruiting. Right. You know, and, and what is there right now? So Clemson, let's say they won the national championship last year. They played 14 games, correct? They 15, played 12. 15 games. Oh, they 12, still played 15? Because it was, it was 12, 12 regular season. the conference season. championship and the two playoff games. Yep. yep. Okay. So I so do the, think Harbaugh gets some points. This is not a disruptive playoff. And he and he definitely... Yeah, see, he thought it out because his last quote is, nobody would be playing 16 games in this plan, and he's right. So that's it's it's fascinating from that regard. Right, so because the BCS, the wild card teams or whatever, I do not believe would play. Well, huh? Are we sure that nobody plays sixteen? I think if you're a bottom seed team, you are playing sixteen. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like, what did he? But at the same time, that would be at most two teams playing sixteen teams, sure, sixteen sure. games. Sure. And I don't think if you're a twelve seed with a chance to win a national title. You know, I, I I'd oh, right, be curious. Right, that right. that'd be something I would field with with the other with coaches. And I mean, because some sometimes it's people need to yeah. look at this bracket because it's fa- it is it's, it's it it reminds yeah. me. Tell me if you were the same as I. This reminds me of something I would have drawn up when I was like a kid. And I don't mean that as like an insult to what he is what he did. It's just more of like this is like it's 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 really cool to think about. For instance, you know, you got, yeah, like in this bracket, you have LSU playing a game on December 1st in Seattle against Washington. That's cool. You have yeah. Georgia playing Florida, a rivalry game, and that means everything to either each program. That's cool, too. You know, and then, you know, because it is, it's like, kind of reminds you of just sort of messing around like with NCAA football, you know, hmm. the video game a little bit. And it's like, so, you know, 11, 12, again, I, I'm a, I, you know, if you're going to put it at a number, my biggest thing is I don't care who the team, the 12th team is. So what? You're out. Like, that, they got to put a line somewhere. Um, but this is fascinating. We'll maybe throw maybe throw a link to it in the actual article of the podcast so people have it. You know, some people, a lot of people probably read it already, but be fascinating. Like, I just think I'm interested to know what people think of mm-hmm. it because i think it i do i think it's really cool I, but i'm definitely in favor of expanding it 100 percent for sure i just i don't think four teams are enough i'm not 100 percent sure i'd go 11 though i'm not sure maybe you know because i i agree i think you maybe mentioned i don't know if there are 11 teams that are capable of winning a national title true 
But again, I mean, but you're watching way. the heck out of all these games. That you know, that's true, what this true, is. True. You're watching it more, and players are playing more. It is a better product than because yeah, in the NFL, is every team that makes the playoffs like a, a real contender to win the Super Bowl? Most likely, no. Um, you know, and I understand basketball, college football has a little bit more of a talent, like who has a chance to win gap than maybe college basketball. Because Michigan will randomly lose to Northwestern in basketball on the road, and then they'll turn around and beat Purdue or whatever, and and so it's, um, or or beat a top ten team or whatever it is. But it oh actually didn't that didn't that happen? Didn't they they beat North Carolina, beat the beat the life out of North Carolina, and then they almost lost to Northwestern. Didn't that happen yeah. like within a one week stretch? So basketball's a little bit flukier. That's why the March Madness works. I don't think they need it like that. I just no, no, it doesn't need to be. There's no way it needs to be that big. And I and I I the one thing, like I said, the one thing I like is that in his with his specific plan is that it's cognizant of the amount of games that these, you know, because these are these are still yeah. college kids playing the game. Well, I would, and there was one quote in the article about how they had someone who I think it was Alabama. They won the national title, and when they arrived on the jet at like what four a.m. or six a.m. or whatever it was. They were given sheets of paper like, here is your schedule, here are your syllabus, syllabi, oops, excuse me, here are your syllabi for your classes, and they had to go to class that day. Yeah, right. It's like, whew. So I think, you know, I also would, be, I think, and he didn't mention this, I'd, I'd be curious to know is if he probably would be in favor of maybe expanding the rosters for the playoff too, just like they do in like the major leagues and stuff where you get. Who are you going to call up? I don't know, but you know, I mean, it, it's again, if you're playing an extra, you know, if you're playing 15, 14, 15, 16 games, I think at least having that option, you may, hey, you, you might have guys who are, who played in four, who are maybe you are capable. Oh, of, like maybe the red shirt rule is voided. A little, yeah, I'm just saying, like, just because yeah, you are, because you're, you know, more, you're playing more snaps on both sides of the ball in more games. Like, you just, you know, not more for the safety of the players than anything else. You know, it's like, say, a guy like Cornelius Johnson in this scenario who played four games, but Michigan's like, okay, we got to redshirt him because, you know, we're going to need him for sure in the future. You know, we ha- already have like a good veteran core at receiver, but. You know, a, either if A, one of those guys gets hurt, or just B, you know, like I said, just to take the load off of a couple of those guys, like to just expand the rosters a little bit as well. And, you know, vo- yeah, voiding that redshirt rule for the playoffs. Again, maybe just, maybe within reason, though. I don't know if you can just abolish it completely. That way you got guys playing eight games who are still, who get, still get four years of eligibility. Sounds like a mm, little bit yeah. too much, but. Yeah. Some kind of nuance there where you maybe decrease, I don't know, D, I don't know, whatever. But that's something else I would have maybe thought about too. So that's yeah. cool. This is fascinating though. This article is actually really neat. We thought, we should probably, should we tell them how at first when we read the headline, we thought it was just some. Well, yeah, <laughs> the headline. And, and like bring I'm assuming Heather, Heather Dinich wrote it. I'm, she's, she is not one of, yeah, she does not. This I assumed she wasn't a part of this headline. I assumed it was an ESPN thing. But it was how 62 coaches think the playoff or think of the CFP, so college football playoff. And then it was an dash, and then it was plus Jim Harbaugh's plan. And it was like, oh, well, they they really wanted to single out Jim Harbaugh for having a plan. Um, he did. 
he did. Other coaches were kind of coy and quiet about it. Uh, you know, kind of like what they've always been. Big Ten, clearly, I mean, they were the only conference that heavily wanted more scheduling um, consistency. Duh, because <laughs> they're the ones right. playing the nine-game right. schedule, and and they have to play one decent team in non-conference play. You know, be it a Power Five or like I think I think the Service Academies, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, uh, Houston, I think are the other teams that you can play. So it's um, they're like the one conference that really wants it to to change back. But um, interesting article, interesting article, interesting thoughts. A uh, happy bye week. We went long. Going a little bit longer discussion about the playoff and the conference than, than we thought, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Feel free to weigh in over at the Victors Club message board. Check out all of our stories. Most, you know, we'll, we'll cover the college football playoff rankings and what that means for Michigan, but but we're not we're not weighing in with our thoughts on the bracket anytime soon, at least on at least in our articles. But tons of articles on Michigan football and basketball and recruiting over at the MichiganInsider.com. Michigan.247sports.com. You can go there, too. Uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And I'll, I'll hit you with the basketball podcast later on this week.